Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. Tonight we have a guest who's going to talk to us about an event that's coming up in September. This is Anne-Marie Winchester. And we welcome you, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're very, very welcome. Um, And I understand this event that's coming up. I heard about it um, somewhere else, actually. And maybe I was on your email. But could you give us, it's called Recovery Fest, correct? Yes, it's called Recovery okay. Fest. All right. And it's on September 30th. And could you go ahead and explain to our, our listeners what it's all about? Yes, absolutely. So Recovery Fest um, will take place on September 30th from 5 p.m. till 8 p.m. at um, DCR's Pilgrim Memorial State Park, which is down on Water Street on the Plymouth waterfront. It's right next to Plymouth Rock. And um, a group of organizations locally that provide services for people who are in recovery, people who are looking for um, resources to, um, to help with substance use disorder, as well as family support services. Um, we all got together and um, decided that we would try to pull together this event. Uh, September happens to be uh, National Recovery Month. And we felt that if we pulled together something that was to happen at the end of the month to wrap up Recovery Month, it would be a really um, uplifting, boosting thing for um, for all of our recovery partners, all of our treatment partners, youth services to get involved in, to just um, to get out there, celebrate recovery, um, help people out who are still looking for support. Um, and and really what it's it's coming down to at this point is, you know, this is a first year event for us. We're hoping that as we move forward, we're hoping for this this really fantastic event to take place at the end of September that we will be able to going forward, hold every single year and continue to grow it. Um, This is a free event. So um, anybody can come at any time during that 5 to 8 p.m. timeframe. And we will have uh, a number of different resource tables, the resource tables um, where, you know, we're really trying to focus on four main um, components within the um, prevention, intervention, treatment, and recovery fields. And this will be for inpatient and outpatient treatment resources, as well as resources such as our own and the other partners that are putting this together that provide recovery support services throughout Plymouth County. We'll be providing um, resource tables as well as games and some fun things to do for our for our youth partners and um, anybody that comes with their children to, to this event. And we also will be having a band that will be playing from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. The name of the band is Selfish Steam, and they are um, a group of guys that are also in recovery. And um, so we're really excited to have them. We've uh, had them play at some other events of ours, and um, they've been fantastic. They're great to listen to um, and super easy to work with as well. We also, um, in addition to the band and the treatment partners, we do have um, a food truck or two, a new organization that has um, that has started to um, they've opened up a new business. It's um, making mocktails. So we will have a mocktail bar. And like I said before, mocktail, they will be so mocktails. Mocktail yes. is something you mean. Um, I just was thinking about that. So mocktail obviously is not a real cocktail because it's a recovery event. So it's it's a it's a kind of a fruity drink. Uh, can you explain that drink? Yeah, there there are different types of fruity types of of drinks that they make, and they're they're similar to what you would get if you were going to a bar, but it just they don't serve anything with any alcohol in it. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I'm something. just as a person, um, like I'm I'm in recovery from uh, GA Gamblers Anonymous, and I'm in my 30 plus years now, but I I found even thinking about a poker game. Um, would give me anxiety um, thinking about having a drink without alcohol in it. Does that 
not cause any anxiety for some people as uh it's, it's the way that it's presented. The people that own the organization are both people that are in recovery. Um, they've started this up and it's, um, it's more of a, um, like a smoothie bar. Okay. That sounds like, so that, 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 yeah. you know, so it's more like of a healthy, um, smoothie. healthy lifestyle drink that, that they're really promoting. Um, Freeze so, your face real quick. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So they, um, you won't be walking around with anything that looks like, you know, uh, anything like a mixed drink or anything like that. It will be more of like a smoothie type of thing that you're going to be seeing. Okay. That's good. So I see the event is hosted through the partnership of PCO and PCO Hope. Well, that sounds like the same company, but they're different from, can you explain the difference? Yes. Yeah, so, um, PCO is Plymouth County Outreach. They are our police police outreach program. And what they do is um, post overdose follow-up calls to individuals who have experienced an overdose, as well as people who are at risk of perhaps experiencing an overdose. It's not specific to um, any one substance. They do do at-risk calls for people who have alcohol use disorder, as well as substance use disorder. And uh, they really just try to reach out and get people connected to services, offer help for the families to get them connected to some services and really start to try to get the ball rolling with getting people connected to treatment. Um, PCO Hope, who is um, the, we're a 501c3 nonprofit. And what that stands for is that PCO is Plymouth County Outreach, just like PCO is Plymouth County Outreach. We have the HOPE on there at the end, and HOPE stands for Help, Outreach, Prevention, and Education. And what we do is we provide scholarships to people who are transitioning from inpatient treatment into sober living homes, and we do drop-in centers, where, which is pretty much like a resource fair that people come out to. We do those on a regular basis. We have a, a stationary drop-in center in our office where people can come in for services at any time. It's, it's simply just a walk-in where, center. Where is that um, office? Where is that? that we're, we're in North Plymouth at 385 Court Street. So um, we are open. We actually have a harm reduction, a full harm reduction center that operates out of our office. So we um, we do lots of Narcan training and uh, we, we are loaded with um, all harm reduction supplies. So um, it's certainly a place that anybody can stop into at any time and get some help as well as um, for people that aren't ready to, to actually go into treatment. Um, we have all kinds of supplies just to keep them safe until they are, until they're ready to hopefully do something. Um, so that's the difference between the two. We were the same organization at one point. We are now operating as two separate organizations. And then our other partner is the Plymouth Recovery Center. And they are um, located in um, in downtown Plymouth at 5 Main Street Extension. And um, they're up on the second floor there. And they are also a resource center, but they also have AA and NA meetings. They have recovery yoga. They have um, like um, refuge recovery, all different types of recovery programs right within there. Um, so that's a that's another option. So the three of us have partnered together to bring this event to the town. So on these different addresses you're giving out, the one that's at Main Street Extension, is that the piece where where um, the old post office used to be? It's across the street from the post office. Where the, okay, where there's a coffee shop and a Domino's, I think, in there. Yes, it's ex- okay. that's exactly yep, and it's up so on it's the second ups- floor. And do you have to have the, the, the combination to open nope. that door? Nope. You can just walk it's right open in. Free. Yep. Okay. Yep. They're open Monday through Friday. Um, I think they just opened up for some Saturday hours as well, but there are people there um, frequently and you can go in there. I mean, they have like a, a clothes, a clothes um, drop off area. So if anybody is in need of, you know, anything warm, you know, winter clothing, anything if they need to go on a job interview um, for people that are living on the streets, if they need like sleeping bags and stuff in the wintertime, Plymouth Recovery Center is loaded with that stuff. So making it real easy. They're right in the middle of downtown. Okay. And then the other location on, is it North Court Court Street or just Court Street? 
It's just Court Street. It's 385 Not, um, Court Street. Yeah, which the relationship is the... to the relationship to the post office there or or to the um, um, hardware store. We um, are just in front of Cordage Park. Oh, so you're down further. Okay. Yeah, down we're, we're about a half mile from the Kingston Town Line. Yeah. Okay. So just in front of Cordage Park. That's where the where Arthur's used to be across the street. And that big yes. building. It used yes. to be a war museum or something at one time. Yes. So we're yeah. we're right up there. That's where the that's where the harm reduction center is. Um, so that and that's where the PCO office is located. Okay. Now when you're calling it a harm reduction center, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's like what is like is there any um, we've been we've been talking to different people across the country about having uh, safe injection sites. Mm -hmm. Now, harm reduction center. There's no injections going on there. It's just more discussion. And, yeah. Okay. And supplies. And, it's 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 a place to talk. It's a place to to come in, hang out, get some help, and to to get harm reduction supplies. Okay. But it's not. Um, we don't have any safe injection sites. So. Um, yeah, but the goal is to get people into where uh, they can get help. And, right. Um, exactly. Just, where they can come in and they can get supplies that will keep them safe, um, free from disease, free from, you know, having to go to the hospital, um, free from um, exposing other people to to whatever diseases are, are out there. And there's also, um, you can do um, HIV testing there as well. Okay. Um, going back to the PCO. Yes. Uh, that's, again, for some listeners may not understand that. When they come to the house, so if somebody overdoses and survives when they come to the house, they don't come in a police cruiser. They come in an unmarked car with, with um, you know, people in normal dress clothes, not, not, not police uniforms or anything, so they don't alarm the. My, my saying it right. Yes, what they do is they come in a, um, they come in an unmarked cruiser with a plainclothes police officer and a recovery coach. Um, the recovery coach is a civilian. It's not a, it's not a, somebody that's part of the police personnel. And um, so it's not a police officer. And, and basically the police officer just does the initial door knock, introduces himself and uh, lets them know what they're there for. And then the recovery coach kind of takes over from that point and, um, and just has a conversation with whoever answers the door, whether it be the person who might have overdosed, the person who is struggling with substances or a family member um, that happens to, to answer the door that, you know, maybe that the person that overdosed isn't there, but, you know, you might get a parent or a sibling that answers the door that is, is very willing to talk to you and, and find out more information about how they can get help. Well, that, that's the next question is because I, if I remember from what I remember is that trying to find a bed or trying to find a place to get help. Uh, it's not as easy as it used to. It wasn't, is it any easier now than it was two or three years ago? It, it isn't really easier because there are still less beds than there are people that want them. So, um, but, but we can, you know, between Plymouth County outreach, PCO hope and the Plymouth recovery center, we all have, um, you know, part of what part of what our jobs are, part of what we do is to sit with people and make those phone calls to help them find a bed, um, just to help take some of the frustration out of it. Because, you know, as as we know, um, somebody will make a couple of phone calls and, you know, after one or two phone calls and they're told, no, they give up. Right. And they just say, I couldn't find a bed, but they, you know, there are a lot of locations out there. So we just help, you know, make it a little bit easier, a little bit less frustrating and, and, you know, sit side by side with somebody to help them um, kind of, you know, start that process on a, you know, some sort of journey, journey to recovery, whatever that may look like. And today we find um, fentanyl is the number one killer of, people with substance use disorder. And um, is there any discussion about with, with the people when they come in that, you know, the dangers of fentanyl, so they understand that it's not, the heroin they get today is not like the heroin they got 
three or four years ago. You know, that used to be 20% pure and, and now it could be as high as 85, but it's more fentanyl than heroin. And the, the danger is, is uh, quite high, you know, they, if they get, because obviously the the drug dealers, they're not scientists and they don't know how much to put in and not put in. And, you know, they're killing most of it. They're killing a lot of their own customers. Um, how do, how do you, how do you discuss the whole fentanyl thing with them? One of the biggest discussion points that we have with people um, because there's such a high rate of overdose in, in individuals who are using other drugs like cocaine, methamphetamine, um, pills that they're buying on the street is that there's fentanyl in everything. So just because you're not out purchasing fentanyl doesn't mean that it's not in what you're taking. If you're buying something from a drug dealer, you're buying something on the streets, there is fentanyl present in every drug that you're purchasing. Um, that is that is part of the goal with some of the harm reduction that we do is we want people testing their product. We want people to know, uh, you know, I, unfortunately, there are um, even the drug dealers don't know a lot of times what what it is they're what it, what it is they're um, giving people because there are so many different illegal analogs of fentanyl out there that you don't know what you're getting you don't know what analog you have you are you know and you don't know how much is in each each dose that you're doing you could have you could be loaded with fentanyl or you could have no fentanyl in it um, you just you just don't know it's um, it's really a, it's it's a game of Russian roulette. Basically, is you just you don't know what you're going to get in there. Um, there's a lot of conversation around that. Um, there's a lot of conversation about the um, the cross contamination from even on, with marijuana. On uh, you know, is it getting into marijuana on scales? Yeah, I would think with marijuana. Why would anybody buy it from a drug dealer when they could go down the street and buy it at a at a marijuana uh, sanctioned operation. Absolutely. Except if you're under 21. Oh, I see. Okay. I didn't, that's, I didn't know that's, that was the deal. Yeah. So it's, it's really impacting the younger kids, um, that are smoking marijuana. If they can't get it, if they can't have somebody buy it for them by going to a dispensary, um, you know, I always feel safer when somebody tells me that they're smoking and they're um, they're buying it from a dispensary or they're taking pills, taking their own prescription that their doctor gives them. Um, it, it, it's just a safer thing to do. Um, we know that though, when people have substance use disorder, they're, you know, they're not really focused on that. They're focused on, on the feeling they're focused on using their drugs. So, um, we do whatever we can to make them as safe as possible. And, and we talk about fentanyl frequently but we also know that there are several people out there, the people that used to do heroin um, are now out seeking fentanyl. That's what they're going out buying. They know the risk, but we know that they're also going out and, and that's what they're asking for when they're purchasing it. And uh, how much are you rec uh, encouraging them to get on methadone or get on um, Suboxone? What we focus on is... Um, all of us, PCO, PCO Hope, Plymouth Recovery Center, we are all multiple pathways um, as far as what, it's really self-directed recovery. So if, if somebody wants to be on medications, we absolutely offer medications to anybody and everybody that wants them. Um, we do encourage it for those that are interested, but um, we don't tend to push too hard towards one direction or another. Um, and, you know, recovery is so individualized that um, it, it's almost like a, like custom designed for people where you have to try different things, see what works, see what doesn't work. And, um, you know, medications is certainly part of it. Um, there's still a lot of stigma around medications, specifically around Suboxone and Methadone. So, um, you know, that's, that's just another thing that, that we're, we're battling that there's a lot of people that probably would do well on something like methadone, 
but because of the stigma of people telling them if they're taking methadone, they're not clean. Yes. Um, that they won't use it. Well, methadone is kind of it's supposed to be a bridge to get you to, to right. stop. <clears throat> the big thing is if they're on methadone and it is a bridge. And, um, and again, I know methadone is not totally safe because um, my, <clears throat> my own son died from it because he was on it too long and, his, and it built up in his body and he wasn't getting blood analysis tests and he wasn't getting urine tests or anything. So, um, but the, the big thing is compared to that versus getting a chance of getting heroin with fentanyl in it, it's certainly, uh, it's a much lesser of the two evils. I mean, I think they're both evils, but it's much lesser of the two evils going that way. Yeah. Right. And, and the way I look at it is, you know, it's not up to me to decide whether somebody is, is clean or not, regardless of how they do that. And if somebody is, is using methadone and they're going to the clinic and they're doing their, their drug screens um, and they're doing their counseling appointments and they're getting up for, for work every morning and they're paying their bills and they're being a responsible you know, community member, taking care of their families, whatever it is that's that's part of their lives. I, I I don't feel like it's up to me to say, oh, well, you shouldn't be taking methadone because it it's helping them live. It's helping it's helping them just be a participant in their own life. That's right. So yeah. and Anne Marie, tell me, um, you do all this for free, I take it. You're a, um, a volunteer. Um, I do, I, I am a part-time employee and then the rest of it I do. I, I actually started out as a volunteer. Um, I did get a, a job opportunity through it. Um, so we do, um, the, the biggest part of what we do is all of our services that we provide. If you come into our office and you need somebody to sit with you to, to make phone calls, to get a detox bed, go over different types of programs, do a Narcan training, get your harm reduction supplies, whatever it is you come into our office for, we don't charge for anything. Wow. Now, so, which one of these offices would, would I find you at? I'm at the 385 Court Street in North Plymouth. North Plymouth, that's where you Portage are. Park. Okay. But yeah, it's, and, and I think that's a really important part of all free organizations that we're talking about here that are putting together this event is we don't care what you have for health insurance. We're never going to ask that in, for that information. We don't care what your social security number is. We don't, none of that stuff really comes into play. What we really want to do is find out how we can help you best to keep you safe and, and provide you with the resources that will, that will help you. Um, and, and it's nice to be able to provide free services like that, um, and not have people worry about it. We get asked the question all the time, like, how much do we owe you? It's always zero. I like that price. Yes. It's a good price. It's always a good price. Yeah. Because in reality, anybody who's suffering with alcoholism or substance use disorder, very seldom do they have any money, you know, right. it's, 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 they're in a, you know, in a tough place in their life. So then they're not going to have the money to have some high quality insurance that's going to pay for everything. It, it almost doesn't right. exist, you know. Right. So and let, I mean, anything we can do to take some of the stress off of people, anything that will, you know, take away some of those reasons why people don't seek treatment. We want to, we right. want to be able to provide whatever we can to try to break that down for them and say, I'm going to make it as easy as possible as I can for you. What do you need? Right. So um, I was going to say, it's very commendable, all this work that you're doing. What, what actually is your key point of motivation? You personally? Um, I, me personally, I have been, um, I've been in recovery for a long time. Um, I've tried all different types of programs. I've had, you know, throughout my recovery, different programs have worked well at different times. Um, I got involved doing this about six, almost seven years ago, and um, it is 
probably, well, it is definitely the best thing I've done for my own recovery in a really long time. So although, you know, people say, oh, it's great. You're out here. You're helping all of these people. But at the same time, those people are helping me too. That's right. That's what I was waiting for you to say. (laughs) You know, a lot of times I get more out of it than the other person does. Um, It's really, it's really helpful for me for my own program. Right, helping others um, is I've definitely a big so step. Much. Yeah, I you, you know, um, and and you know, I without you know focusing, you know, saying okay, this is what PCO does, this is what PCO does. In general, the community that does this work, it is. Uh, there are some of the most amazing people I have met. Just the most incredible people um, that do this work just because like, it's something that it's just something that drew them in for one reason, or another, whether it's their own recovery or a family member or a loss to an overdose. Um, there are some really incredible people out there doing this work. Very good. Now let's go back to the beginning and let's the recovery fest. Mm-hmm. It's going to be on September 30th and it's at basically at the waterfront. Yes. Right? Okay, yes. but those who are coming down from Quincy or Braintree, what exit is that at on on a uh, Route oh, Three? The new the, exit numbers it messes so it's me. So the all old off. exit six, right? The old exit six, yes, yeah, six so, east, because you want to be heading yeah. towards the water. Right, it's probably exit twelve now or something. It's probably exit twelve, yeah. I. I haven't Just adjusted the sign yet. That says it's always going to be exit six to me. I've lived here for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so when you come down there and there's going to be, there's going to be a band, there's going to be food trucks, um, bring your chairs, bring your own chairs to sit in. Yes, please. Okay. And bring your kids. There's going to be things for your kids to do. Yes. Um, sounds like a good time. There will be uh, resource tables as well. Right. So you can get all kinds of information and, Mm-hmm. And I'm guarantee that one of those resource tables will have Anne Marie at. I will be there definitely. You we know, will so. also have for anybody that that is interested. We will have Narcan. We will have fentanyl test strips. We will have other harm reduction tools. But we, there will be plenty of Narcan for anybody, anybody listening to this that's got addiction problems and you have no place to get fentanyl test strips. This trip going to this. Uh, event will save your life. Exactly. That's you. You need to have fentanyl test strips, no matter what you're taking. If you're buying something and it's not from a drugstore, you definitely need uh, the fentanyl strips. And if you're related to somebody who's got addiction problems, especially in the opioid world, um, you need Narcan. And you need. It's very simple now. You have the Narcan that goes the nasal spray. So yeah. easy to use. It's so easy now compared to what it used to be like. So, uh, but you got to have it because sometimes you're only going to have one minute and that you'll bring the person back with that one minute. And so, so, so important. Yep. And we tell people that all the time, the difference between having Narcan and not having it, wait, having to wait that few minutes for EMS can make the difference between whether somebody lives or dies. That's correct. Is there a website? that explains everything we've talked about? Um, We have, it's really on, um, as far as Recovery Fest is concerned, there is a Facebook event page for the actual event because it's being put on by three separate organizations who have their own individual websites. Um, They can just type in Recovery Fest Plymouth Mass and it'll pop up, right? Yep, It's, it's just called Recovery Fest 2022 on Facebook. Um, you can also reach out to myself at PCO Hope. You can reach out to anybody at Plymouth County Outreach um, or anybody over at the Plymouth Recovery Center. Okay, terrific. Okay. We want to thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. You're very welcome. And we've been talking to Anne-Marie Winchester from PCO Hope. We really appreciate all your time. And this is The Courage to Hope is the name of our show. And this is Tony LaGreca.
All the excitement and fun you remember are waiting for you at the 154th Marchfield Fair. The food, the games, the rides, exhibits, and unforgettable entertainment. Live music, illusionists, and the zoo show, arts and crafts, horticultural exhibits, bees and bunnies. Be amazed by live glass blowing, then thrilled at the Demolition Derby. For information and a schedule of events, visit MarshfieldFair.org. The 154th Marshfield Fair, August 19th through the 28th, Route 3A, Marshfield. Summer adventures are where memories are made. Add some flavor to your Massachusetts summer by eating like a local. Support local farmers and your appetites by exploring farmer's markets throughout the state. Take home a pint of juicy strawberries or add sweet, plump blueberries to your morning cereal. There's no better place to find a tomato to complement your burger or the freshest ear of corn you'll enjoy all season. Need some inspiration? Map your fresh food adventure at eatlikealocal in ma.org. Paid for by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. WMEX is back, and it's bigger and better than ever. Listen as good guys Larry Justice, your friend Ben, Jeff Lawrence, and Jimmy J play the greatest hits of all time. Put the power of the good guys to work for you. Advertise your business, event, or message on WMEX. Call our sales team at 508-245-7732. Or drop us a message at WMEXsales at gmail.com. Radio is fun again. 1510 W. Tony LaGreca here. I want to tell you about a special event coming this October. Finding Hope in Grief is a support conference scheduled to take place on October 22nd and 23rd at the Doubletree Hilton in Westboro, Mass. The conference is for anyone who lives or works in Massachusetts and is bereaved by the death of a loved one from substance use. If you are interested in attending the conference and sharing a weekend of hope, healing fellowship, and remembrance, sadod.org. The conference is sponsored by the Department of Public Health and the Bureau of Substance Addiction Services, also supported by the AdCare Educational Institute. Again, that's sadod.org to register and sign up early. Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. This is Tony LaGreca, and this is The Courage to Hope. And tonight we have a special guest. We have Andrea Campbell, who is running for the Massachusetts Attorney General's Office. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you for having me. Oh, You're very welcome. And Andrea, reading your your bio, you've had a quite an interesting road to get to where you are today. I'm extremely impressed with all of the things that you've been able to do. So could you give us a little idea about your early life and what your background is for that? Quite tragic. Um, When I was eight months old, my mom died in a car accident going to visit my father who was incarcerated at the time. My father was incarcerated for the first eight years of my life. So my brothers and I, we live with our grandmother, but occasionally she struggled with alcoholism. So we live with relatives, the foster care system in those difficult moments that she had. Um, And then when my father got out of prison, we were eight, we went to live with him. And he always stressed the importance of doing things differently, education, 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 he would say. Uh, When I went off to Princeton University, I talked to my dad one morning, he died the same evening when I was a sophomore at Princeton and 19 years old. But sadly, the tragedy wouldn't stop there. Fast forward, my twin brother, Andre, would actually die while in the custody of the Department of Correction, which oversees our prisons here in Massachusetts. When he was only 29 years old, he was a pretrial detainee waiting to go to trial. It never happened. He received inadequate health care for a disease he had called scleroderma, and it would ultimately pass away while in that system. So a lot of tragedy, a lot of pain. But every day, I'm very faith-driven. I choose to turn that pain into purpose. And much of the work I've done in my career, including being a public servant, has always been informed by that loss and breaking cycles of poverty and trauma for my two boys, but also for other residents in the state. Yeah, I always find that the best way to get over grief is by being busy, 
and getting things done with, as you say, with purpose. Uh, going back to your education, you went to Boston Latin High School? Right, Boston Latin School. Yeah, and you have to take tests and stuff to get into that school? That's right. So I went from Boston Latin School to Princeton uh, University and then UCLA. Yeah, that's, that, stop right there. That's just amazing to go from, you know, not that Boston Latin is, is, is a great school, but how, did, how and why did you decide to go to Princeton? My father actually got accepted to Princeton when he was in high school. He went to Boston Tech. He was born and raised in Roxbury in Boston, but he decided not to go um, and ended up making some painful choices that led him down a criminal path. Um, And so the first time I heard about Princeton was through him. And I had been looking at a few universities. I was encouraged by teachers to apply and I did. And when I got accepted, my, my father probably could have passed that day. He was so of course elated um, that I would be going off to college. And I'm the first in my family to go to college, the first in my family to go to law school. Um, and so he, along with many family members, of course, extremely proud. Princeton. And then you later, you, after you graduated from Princeton, you went off to UCLA Law School? That's right. Mm-hmm. I was visiting law schools and um, visiting a relative and really liked the school. It actually reminded me of Latin School. It's, it's a relatively small law school. And um, it had a public interest program, just some innovative uh, legal programs and really enjoyed that experience. And then came back home to Roxbury, where I started my career representing children in education cases for free. Okay. Could you explain, elaborate on that a little bit? So I represented families because the legal services we provided were free. The families had to fall below the poverty line. So I represented young kids in the context of school discipline cases, special needs cases. So a lot of students with disabilities, a lot of students on IEPs and pushing for traditional public schools, charter schools, METCO programs, all school systems, pushing for them to deliver a high quality education for my clients. My youngest client was six, my oldest was 22 and loved that work. And and frankly, it's, I've been reminded by someone recently Uh, that if I'm blessed to become the next attorney general, I'd be the only attorney general entering the office with an education law background, which is so relevant, of course, today, as we push for every child and every family to have access to a high quality education. That's correct. And when I met you at at the fundraiser one time, um, one thing we talked about, which I thought was startling, was the the cost of of school busing to get 20,000 students to to school and um, can, you know, how do you, what do you feel about that? The amount of money that we're spending just to get kids bust across town. And um, wh- wh- what is your opinion on that? Well, it varies, right? I was speaking to, when I was on the city council in Boston, always looking at how taxpayer dollars are being spent and if they really are being used to help families. And in Boston, the transportation budget, is now over $130 million. It may be over $140 million. Um, and I think to transport a small subset of students and what does it mean to hold a system accountable to the taxpayers? But I also recognize in the context of this race, as I'm crisscrossing the state, there are many municipalities, many communities that don't have the same resources as a Boston and don't have access to those same resources. So those inequities are real. So on the one hand, we wanna push for those communities that feel left out and left behind, our gateway cities, our rural communities, uh, communities outside of 495 to make sure they have adequate resources for their families, for their children, while at the same time holding folks accountable to delivering high quality services for our taxpayers. Well, we mentioned, I, I mentioned to you about East Boston High School. And you know, you're talking about people outside. I mean, I've looked at Duxbury, Whitman, Hanson, Situate, um, North Plymouth, South Plymouth. These high schools look like uh, they're they're better than most junior colleges are. Um, You know, why is it that the schools in Boston, some of them like South Boston High, Dorchester, you know, East Boston, um, when are they going to get their upgrade? Is Is there problems there with money going the wrong place? I think there are many municipalities like Boston, where their infrastructure is lacking, whether it's school buildings or other infrastructure in their community, housing stock, 
that's old, dilapidated. And I think where an attorney general can show up is making sure that every municipality has equitable access to state resources, that communities or neighborhoods in communities that are where there may be concentrations of poverty, that those communities also have access to resources. So in Boston, Boston can do a lot better to make sure the infrastructure and the buildings are sound and are modernized for our children. We have to do the same in other municipalities too that also are concentrated in poverty or do not have the resources that they need in order to make sure the children have adequate resources, opportunity, and of course, incredible and excellent infrastructure. And is, is that where, when you talk about giving everyone a fair shot, um, is that what you mean by that? That's, that's exactly right. And not only in the context of education, you think about healthcare. In some, certain communities, you pay higher rates in terms of insurance or just access or affordability, major issues. Basic opportunity is out of the reach of so many families in Massachusetts. And so what does it mean to level the playing field so folks have a fair shot at getting at all the opportunities they would need to be successful, not just for themselves, but also for their families? It seems like, though, that, you know, you were one of those people that could have gone the other way and you put in all the effort that it was necessary to get the good grades at Boston Latin and to what motivates you to what motivated you right out out of the gate? I mean, you must have been motivated by the time you're in the eighth grade. (laughs) A lot. One, I'm very faith driven and my aunt and uncle, who are my parent figures, live across the street from me and Mattapan. We're very close. And my aunt, who is like my mom, she planted seeds of faith in me early on. We went to church together. I didn't necessarily see the value then, but now I do. I also had a lot of teachers and mentors who played a significant role in my life. Even when I was in the foster care system for periods of time, I had those folks who also invested in me. And some of those folks I'm still close with today. So I was blessed to have an incredible ecosystem around me. And I think that's what other young people need um, to make sure they also have an opportunity to be successful. We're not gonna eradicate poverty overnight. We're not going to get rid of discrimination overnight. And so what does it mean to still afford folks opportunity? And I think an AG can play a critical role in that. And so going back to when you got out of college and you were now working as a lawyer representing students, Um, How did you go from there to the Boston City Council? What's the next move that you did? I worked for Governor Patrick as an attorney, and I remember being exposed to not just his leadership, but what it means to be the elected official in the room. You, of course, have significant power to decide what will be the agenda, what issues you will take on. And when I decided to run for office, it was after a lot of prayer, talking to a lot of folks in my community, particularly Mattapan and Dorchester, ultimately took the leap of faith, challenging a longtime incumbent. And not to suggest um, he was doing something awful. I just brought a different vision, a different way of thinking about the issues. And so ultimately ran for office, running a very grassroots campaign, and was blessed to serve as the District 4 city councilor in Boston, representing largely Dorchester, Mattapan, a little bit of Jamaica Plain and Rosendale for six years, doing some significant work in housing in particular, and just making sure this district had access to all the incredible opportunities the city could afford. And did you get elected president of Boston City Council while you were there? That's right. At the start of my second term, I was elected by my colleagues to be the city council president. So becoming the first black woman to serve as Boston City Council president, another platform to lift up the incredible work that local leaders and local counselors do It's significant, but also to push the council to be intentional around addressing racial disparities and other inequities that existed in the city of Boston. Did you learn anything from being on the city council for for six years? As a local official, and and as I crisscross the state, and I'm talking to folks on select boards, other counselors, local officials, you have to get things done. You are the person that folks see at the grocery store. Sometimes they're smiling at you. Sometimes they are yelling at you. But your job is to help folks with real problems um, come up with real solutions. And so when we started, for example, activating city-owned lots, 
vacant city-owned dilapidated lots, it was one solution to address violence because these lots attracted illicit behavior and tended, tended to be the places where folks would go to do bad things. These are solutions that came from the community. So I loved being on the council because you had to do, you had to deliver, but most importantly, you had to come up with real solutions to help folks with real problems. I understand. Now, you've also been um, endorsed by Maura Healy as her, uh, as the candidate that she would prefer to see replace her. That's right. Um, how does that make you feel? It's incredible. You know, the fact that she's obviously the current attorney general running for governor, for her to say, I believe not just in Andrea's personal narrative and personal story in terms of bringing folks into the office and making sure constituents feel seen and heard and having someone in the office that can reflect the very challenges that residents are facing every day. She also said, you know, it's more than her story why I'm endorsing her. It's her legal background, her legislative experience all the things we need in the next AG to really help Massachusetts continue to be a leader, but also to tackle the issues that residents are facing every day. So it's an honor and a privilege to have her support along with other former AGs as well. Have you been following the, uh, the bankruptcy with Purdue Farmer and, um, and the Sackler family? Are you, you know, are you up to date with all the stuff that we've been doing? Well, following a lot of issues, of course, closely. I, I talk to more frequently. I talk to attorneys in the office as well. Um, so whether it's ways to address the opioid crisis, to continue to go after bad actors and ensure those settlements deliver actual dollars to help people. I'm following a lot of the issues. I'm, um, of course, working hard in these last 14 days to make sure people get out to vote as well. Well, that's critical. There's a lot of people listen, but they have to get out and do it. Well, I've, I've already right. voted. I've already sent in my mail-in ballot. So I'm, I'm ahead of the rest. Awesome. Uh, and I'm reminding folks, mail in your ballot, early voting starts next week. And then of course, the, the actual election is the day after Labor Day. So telling folks to make a plan to actually vote uh, because it is a holiday weekend, people get busy, but this race is really significant. I agree with you. So now let's say it's the first day you're in office and what is going to be your vision for the office of the attorney general? Your first day on the job, what's, what's the plan? One is surround myself with good staff and a good team. And I believe in hiring folks, not because you have a political relationship, but folks who are leaders in their own right, who bring expertise, a unique lived experience. Um, so I think that is really important. The other piece is making the office more accessible. There are pockets in the state where they don't feel like there is an AG presence in certain parts of the state, we have regional offices like Springfield, New Bedford, Worcester. So how do we strengthen those offices, expand the reach of the office? If folks know that the AG is present in their community, they will then seek out uh, the incredible staff and the incredible lawyers and the incredible resources that exist in the office uh, to help them with the issues they're facing every day. So there's a lot to do to expand that accessibility and to expand the community engagement bureau that exists in the office. So folks know who the AG is, but most importantly, what the office is capable of doing and helping them. And if you're the attorney general, when money comes in from these bankruptcy cases, like from Purdue Farmer and Johnson and Johnson and some of the rest from the opioid epidemic, um, do you track to see where that money goes? Is that your, one of your jobs as the attorney general? Will you be as the, one of the big fears I have is that like, when um, Massachusetts got a lot of money from the tobacco industry, I never saw any tobacco ads compared to what I saw in New York and other states. We like did something with the money, but built a bridge somewhere or something, but didn't do what should have been attended to. And my, my work with people who have lost a child due to overdose, um, that we, we want to see the money go into recovery centers and to right. help the people that, are, you know, we can't do anything about the people who have died, but, but what about the ones who have addiction problems today? And we, we need to get them help. And most of the time they're not getting it. And um, right. I, I've seen that uh, methadone mile, they call it, you know, I went by there a week ago and there was over 500 people out there still. And I was like, um, they, those people need to be in recovery. That's why they're, 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 they're addicted. You know, and, there's a lot the office can do. And Right now, they are developing a formula and ways in which to make sure that money is distributed to communities. 
and for the very purposes you just mentioned, treatment facilities, making sure that certain parts of the state where it's really difficult to get treatment services, that these resources are directed there, prevention efforts uh, as well. And so there is a a real strategy right now and, and, and kudos to the current attorney general who took on this case. Um, they're making sure that these resources are directed at the folks that need it the most to help those dealing with substance use disorder. And of course, ensuring that they're successful with recovery. Um, and so that's happening right now. It is gonna be an ongoing issue just to make sure that every community feels like they have a piece in that. Um, and so that's ongoing and it's something I would absolutely of course prioritize and continue to lead on. You know, do you think you'll have a committee of sorts to help you as the money gets spread out amongst the towns? That's a lot for one person to be. You have to have a, a group overseeing the and reporting well, there back to you. Is some folks at the table, of course, informing this. Um, I don't know the breadth of all the who. I'm in contact with the office, of course. Um, I'm not in the weeds on every decision, but I do know it's more than one person who is deciding how these resources get allocated. And I was just at an event uh, in Springfield and actually an Indian orchard where I met some folks who I'd recently met in Greenfield. They were there in Indian orchard for this meet and greet. Um, They are doing recovery work every day in Franklin County. And they're a part of the office's conversation around the allocation of these resources. So I'm confident that folks will continue to be at the table right now. And of course I would continue that leadership going forward. Let's talk about protecting reproductive rights for women in the state. Where do you stand on that? I've been saying that we live in the best state in the nation. And one reason I name that is not just because of my personal story and the opportunities I was afforded to be able to go off to college and law school and be be successful by certain metrics. It's also in the context of reproductive health care. Here in Massachusetts, our rights are indeed protected. Our insurance plans allow for these critical services to be available to residents, but there's still a lot more to do. The AG's office, I think, is uniquely positioned to make sure that those who are living in certain parts of the state where there is deserts in terms of accessing reproductive health care, that those deserts are quickly done away with. There are also these pregnancy crisis centers that are putting out a lot of misinformation and uh, pretending as if they are providing reproductive health care services and maybe not protecting the data and privacy of their patients. There's a lot the AG's office is doing right now around that. And then recent legislation, of course, was passed by the governor, our current AG, and of course, folks in the legislature pushing to protect providers and patients, some really significant uh, wins there. So there's a lot more to do in terms of enforcement. But the best thing about being in Massachusetts is we are leading the way and will continue to. Thank you. So you've been listening to Andrea Campbell. And if you like what you've heard, She's running for attorney general. Get out and vote September 6th. And you can't just say, I like it. You've got to go out and vote. That's right. Okay. This show, The Courage to Hope, and I feel that Andrea is definitely a sample of, of hope and courage put together. And that's why we're proud to have her on our show today. And Thank this you is, so much, Tony. Thank you. You're very welcome. And this is Tony LaGreca, and this is The Courage to Hope. 